Well, good morning, Liberty. Are you awake this morning? Every campus, every location, we welcome you. We're so thankful that you chose to be here with us. We don't take it for granted. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to get your Bibles, if you have them, go ahead and turn them there. Your iPads, your phones, whatever you need. I want you to see the Word of God. That's what we're going to be teaching from and, and bringing you. Every time we stand in this pulpit, uh, we center ourselves on the Word of God. That's the only thing I have to offer you this morning. So I'm going to bring it the best way I know how. Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing this series on the armor of God. The armor of of God, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as you turn there, over the last few weeks, uh, we've had the honor of uh, teaching this series as a teaching team, and I think it is to the strength of any church to have multiple teachers of the Word of God, multiple shepherds to help lead the people of God. I hope you value that as a church. I hope you value that in your individual life. I have so enjoyed the past few weeks, not just getting to teach some of the Word, but getting to receive it from different teachers. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Zach and Pastor Dalton, what they've brought to this series. And uh, I'm excited uh, because next Sunday, Pastor Grant and Miss Tammy are gonna be back. He is our lead teacher, our lead shepherd. And I know you've missed him as I have, and I have missed him. Um, and he'll be back starting a brand new series next Sunday called Grow. Everybody say Grow. It is God's will for every one of us to grow. And that was better. Now, I'm going to get y'all warmed up today because I'm already fired up from the worship. We have church a lot of times before anybody ever gets in any, any building. Prayer teams in here walking and worship uh, team in here worshiping, not practicing, worshiping. Not warming up for the real thing, doing the real thing. And uh, so I, I'm telling you, I'm liable when I start preaching just to go crazy from the beginning because I've already had two, three hours of being in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to try to breathe and give y'all time to catch up. <laughs> I said next Sunday, Pastor Grant's teaching on grow because it is God's will that every person grow. And you never get too old for that. You never get beyond that. And he's going to be bringing a series of messages on spiritual growth in your life. You don't want to miss it. You want to be here for it. And then you want to get somebody here with you. We're continuing the Armor of God series, the final sermon today on the final piece of armor. And I want to look at the whole passage before we dive in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Here are the pieces of armor we've looked at. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and, this is our final piece for today, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we have no ability in and of ourselves, in and of our flesh to understand it. So we're asking your spirit to reveal it to us. The same spirit that inspired it. Would you teach us from it now? Open our eyes to see the truth. Open our ears to hear your voice. God, I pray as I pray every time that my Preaching will not rest in the clever or cunning words of men, but in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God, so that our faith might rest in your Spirit. Would you do it now for your honor and glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let it be done. Amen. Well, I want you to see in this final piece of armor of four things Uh, that actually work together to make up this piece. You're gonna see it explicitly from the text. Now, I know last time I I came up here a few weeks ago, I had a bunch of Jordans and shoes up here. And I've heard from a lot of people from different campuses, uh, I heard some people really think that was God uh, telling them to get into the shoe game and, and get some sneakers. And I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit do what he does there, okay? I've heard wives uh, say that that message was, Uh, For them to encourage their husbands to sell their sneakers. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit, I don't know. I didn't hear him say that, but if you heard him. I didn't hear him say you should buy any either, but that's up to you and God. I brought a lot of sneakers up here uh, last time because I really wanted to teach you something practical. And that is that the shoe of the gospel of peace, as it's called, was a, a, a piece of armor they were familiar with that they saw every day. And so I, I just prayed, God, how would you make it practical, practical for us? And as I thought through the shoes, the sneakers we see every day, I saw some of the very same pieces and parts, and I tried to teach from that vantage point. This morning, uh, I really want to just bring you the simplicity and the beauty of the Word of God. Every one of my points, except the last one, and I'm going to explain why I chose a different word, is the Word from the text, And I want you to see the four parts. All of them are interconnected. None of them are separable. I want you to see all four pieces, uh, all four parts of the final piece of armor. The first thing I see is the sword. The sword. Now, unlike maybe their particular boots, I think we are a little bit more familiar with swords. uh, But for us, uh, they're different than they were in that day. Uh, I, I, I had somebody show me one this week that was just amazing, a replica of Solomon's sword that they keep in their office. And uh, for us, uh, swords at this point are a collector's item, a hobby. Uh, there's something to put on your wall to display. Maybe we, uh, I don't know, uh, make them fancy or, or, or have them engraved with something specific. But in this day, make no mistake about it, Swords were not for decoration. You hear what I'm saying? The sword 
was to make war. Now, it's interesting because he says the sword of the Spirit, and I don't know that any other piece of the armor is more explicitly offensive. In fact, I think most of the pieces of armor uh, would be defensive by nature, and certainly uh, this piece could be defensive, but I think primarily it was meant to be on the offense. It was meant to make war. It wasn't just meant to harm. Listen to me. I'm going to say something strong. The Roman sword was meant to kill. Now, Rome was a very advanced society, especially when it came to uh, war, and a very powerful society. They had ships and battering rams. Uh, They had catapults where they would take these huge boulders, almost like uh, uh, you would see with missiles today, and they would launch these massive boulders. They had chariots and horses, and they were extremely uh, advanced, especially for that day and time, in, in civilization and in the art of war. The interesting thing is, by the time a Roman soldier began to fight with his sword, he had made it to -to hand-to-hand combat. And that's why I say the sword was to kill. Because by the time uh, they made it to this point of the battle, they had surpassed every other uh, huge piece of machinery that they had or armor that they had or war that they had. And now it was man To man. And every piece of the armor of God, listen to me, is man to man. Your grandma can't fight for you, and we got some praying grandmas that I'm thankful for. Amen, grandmas. We got some granddads and some moms and some dads who pray for their children, intercede for their children. But make no mistake about it, spiritual warfare is one-on-one with the enemy. And there is a responsibility for you to stand in the armor of God, for me to put on the armor of God and to fight one-on-one with the enemy, to go to war against the enemy. And Tony Evans actually says about this piece of armor, while most of it picture a long sword, the majority of them, because that would have weighed them down, that was more decorative, maybe for a military processional, the majority of Roman soldiers wouldn't have carried that massive long sword. They would have carried a dagger in their belt. And by the time they reached this point of using their dagger, their sword, it was extremely personal. And to end this series on the armor of God, I am telling you that the spiritual attack on your life is personal. The enemy knows your phone number, he knows your address. He knows what gets to you. He knows what makes you tick and function. He knows how to mess with your spouse. He knows how to mess with your children. And and when the the beginning of of this section in Ephesians 6 says that he schemes against us, I'm telling you, he schemes in a very personal way to destroy your life. Well, why do I say all that? Because this is wartime, not peacetime. I'm going to say it one more time. This is wartime, not peacetime. And there is a responsibility on you and I to make war with the enemy. I am preaching in a Western culture right now in America. Because that, that bothered my spirit just now. Other campuses, you better be with me more than this, this Hampton crowd is with me right now. 
You're laughing and I'm serious. I just said it is our responsibility to make war with the enemy. I don't need you to cheer as much as I need you to go home and fight. Because in my office, there are families right now in our church and maybe in this room this hour that are being destroyed by the attack of the enemy. I need you to fight. Marriages that are being ripped apart, I need you to fight. I can't fight for you. I need you to put on this armor, this armor of God, and and take on the victory that Christ has given you in order to win the war for your family, for your marriage, for your children, for your home. This is a personal responsibility. The first thing I see is a sword, and a sword makes war. A sword brings death. I love pictures of swords throughout Scripture, but perhaps the most interesting one is the sword that the Lord has in the final battle in Revelation chapter 19. Look at this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. So many parallels in this passage. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Well, what does a sword do? It kills, it brings death. And as believers, as children of God, God has given us a sword. It is his victory to bring death to the enemy. And he calls that sword in this passage something very specific, the word. I don't just see the sword, I see the word. Uh, It's not by accident that when he comes back in the final battle, there is a sword that proceeds from his mouth. Because I see a connection, a biblical, inseparable connection between the sword and the word. Well, it's the sword of the spirit, which is the, you say it, word of God, which is the word of God. And this is all throughout scripture. Hebrews, excuse me, chapter four, verse 12, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double edge, you say it, sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I don't just see the sword, I see the word. And the sword is meant to kill. It's, it's meant to destroy the enemy. And the sword is the word. Before we can have any uh, spiritual victory in our lives over the spiritual forces coming against us, We've got to have spiritual victory over the enemy within us. I really believe that one of the primary jobs of the sword is actually to put to death the enemy inside of us. Why? Because the spiritual powers that fight against us entice our own flesh to betray our own selves. The, the, the enemy works in conjunction with our flesh. And so the sword isn't just to put to death the works of the enemy. It's to put to death the enemy inside of me. 
Let me show you this in John 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Does it feel good to get cut? No. It does not feel good to get cut. How do I know that? Because I've cut myself. Now, I am Tim the Tool Man. Uh, I have very little ability when it comes to, let me think, anything household or knives or tools or any of that, okay? I was not given those gifts. The Lord made me a preacher, okay? And I could help with some things, but nothing, uh, but nothing of manual labor in your house, I can assure you. Now, I will give my time and energy, but I can't help you. Do you know what I'm saying? And I have hurt myself many a times trying to do something. And, and my mom and dad are listening to this cracking up because I am my dad made over, and he, whew, he can't fix anything, okay? <laughs> and <clears throat> listen, I see a contractor in this service who has fixed so many things in his house and helped him uh, because that's not our gift, okay? It's not our gifting. And I have cut myself on a lot of things, uh, most notably a few years ago, this is a a hilarious story for all of you. It wasn't for me. I stuck my finger under a lawnmower that was turned on, okay? <laughs> wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. And it hurt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> because when you get cut, it hurts. And I, for weeks, had this weird bandage thing that was holding my finger together. And it was just, it was not my best day or my best moment. Because getting cut hurts. And I know people who read the word of God and when it starts hurting, they put it down and run away from it. And I'm here to tell you, this thing cuts me every single day of my life. But there is a difference in being cut, being wounded in order to bring destruction and, and a difference between being cut in order to bring healing. <laughs> I'm gonna preach this. If I told you that, that someone literally took a knife and, and cut open the back of my mom's head, when I saw her, she was unrecognizable. She was so swollen. They had bandages wrapped around her. Her eyes were swollen shut. I mean, bruised and, and uh, very wounded. If I told you that without context, you'd say whoever did that should be punished. But if you knew the backstory, and many of you do, that she had an inoperable brain tumor and that an experimental brain surgeon from India named Dr. Krish did a, a type of surgery that he created and he cut her open and cut into parts of her brain in order uh, to free her from that tumor and God used his hands and his technique to bring full healing to her. Well, if I told you that that was the man who cut her open, it doesn't make her injuries any less worse, but that man's supposed to be praised. And he has been, and he's been awarded with awards from around the world. Why? Because his technique of surgery has been used to heal many, many people. And I'm telling you, some of you view the word of God and the work of God like an enemy that's trying to cut you and wound you hurt you and harm you, and you don't realize that he only cuts like a surgeon. He only does surgery in order to heal. There has not been one moment in your life, especially when it comes to this word, 
where he has cut you in order to hurt you, friend. He's cut you in order to save you, to heal you, to restore you. And the only way for you to be saved is for sin to be utterly eradicated from your life. And that process does not feel good, but it is so worth it. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And I'm telling you that the word of God is effective and it is powerful and it always, always brings healing when it's applied, when it's used. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 55 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I promise and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And I'm telling you that the word of God is effective and powerful enough to drive back the enemy in darkness. The enemy will not have the final say. The word of God will prevail. Victory belongs to our God, to his word. But his word is also effective and powerful and successful in eradicating the enemy within you and in defeating the sin in your life. Now, the first one has more applause because it, it's more fun to say, Jesus is going to defeat Satan. Woo! Amen. But what about Jesus is going to defeat my sin issue? Jesus is going to defeat my own failure Jesus is going to rid the sin out of my life. Well, that's a hard one to cheer for because it's more fun. I'm going to keep preaching this until we get it. It is more fun uh, to come in, in church so we think and play a, a game, a charades in here. I just read this week in the Word. They honor me with their lips, but then they turn from me and aren't faithful to what they say. And we create a charades in church. I'm going to go in, I'm going to clap, I'm going to sing, I'm going to worship the Lord. And then I'm going to go and continue in the sin that's held me bound for, for decades, continue to run headlong into the destruction of my own life, and I'm going to partner with the enemy to destroy my family, to destroy my home, to destroy my children, to destroy... It doesn't make sense, friend. And so I came to tell you, the Word of God isn't just effective in defeating Satan. The Word of God is effective in defeating you. The beautiful thing is... I'm not going to end up in heaven one day because I got it right. Because I'm telling you, I have got it so wrong. I have failed over and over and over again. And yet, daily he uses this word to perfect me and make me like himself. Daily he uses this word to allow me to stand in the victory that Christ has already won and already purchased. I'm never going to be saved because I did it right or lived good enough or, or uh, uh, worked my way into anything. I'm saved because he already did it. And now you have the freedom to walk in what he's already done. And one of my favorite moments in scripture where you can see this come together perfectly, the, the power of the word, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And every single time he responds with, it is written. And the end of that passage, there's two realities. The passage says in Matthew chapter four, and Satan left him. <laughs> I love that verse. But the other reality of that passage is, and Jesus was victorious. 
friend, because he never fell in temptation, because he never sinned, because his flesh never overcame him, even in his humanity, you and I can be saved from our flesh and from Satan. The beauty of this is found in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, you say it, Word, that's what we're talking about. Not just the sword, the word. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I'm gonna take a poll, and I can only see in the room, but play along uh, in the other campuses with me. I'm gonna take a poll. Who has already eaten something today? Let me see your hand. Who's already eaten something today? Not everybody, but a close, close amount. Who will eat something by tonight? Let me see your hands. You know, you ain't, you ain't never had to ask me to eat. You don't have to beg me. I love to eat. And some of you do too, okay? Not that I'm judging from what I see. I'm just saying, you, some of you love to eat too. You know why we eat? It's not just because we enjoy it. But we do grow to enjoy it. We acquire tastes that we like. We don't just eat because we enjoy it. We eat because it is necessary to live. And yet, we do not spend time in the word of God. Do you know why believers don't spend time in the word of God? Because they do not believe that it is necessary in order to live. And I'm telling you, friend, the word is necessary in order for you to live. And you will die. Listen to me. You will die if you do not learn to live by this word. Thank you, Jesus. I don't just see the sword. I don't just see the word. You know, the word has even been used to manipulate. It can be misunderstood. Uh, Certainly, Jesus said to the Pharisees, "Uh, you read and you study the scriptures, but you do not realize that they testify of me. And so I see something else in this passage. I actually see it sandwiching the word. And it is uh, explicitly mentioned both before and after. Not just the sword, not just the word. I see the spirit. The Spirit of God. Now, he literally says it's a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then he follows that up by saying, and pray at all times in the Spirit. It's sin which is in the truth of the Word. Why? Because we need the Spirit just like we need the Word. Because in my flesh, I'll misuse, I'll misunderstand, I'll misinterpret this Word. So every day of my life, when I open this Word, I ask, Spirit of God, would you teach it to me? Well, why do I pray that? Because he's the very one who inspired it. There is no word without the Spirit. One more time. There is no word without the Spirit. Let me show it to you. 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke, that's what we get, Uh, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me show it to you in 2 Timothy chapter three. All scripture is breathed out. You don't know how good this is. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, there is a necessity, not just for the word, but for the spirit. And you cannot have the truth of the word without the spirit. Now, I lean into this point because 
There are a lot of churches who claim to be one or the other. I've never understood this. Denominations that, that claim to be one or the other. Well, we're a Bible church. Well, friend, I hope you are a Bible church. We're a Bible church. We're not one of those crazy spirit churches. What are you talking about? Then there's the other extreme. I watched a service this past week, an hour and a half long service. And uh, they claim to have... A, they claim to have all the gifts of the Spirit present and a move of the Spirit of God. And certainly, I, I wasn't there, but live online, it looked like quite an outpouring of something. And the Word of God was never mentioned one time, not even quoted a verse. Well, friend, that's not the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the one who gave us the truth. And you cannot separate the Spirit from the Word and the Word from the Spirit. The two are inseparable. Let me show you this. I love the way John captures this specifically in his writings. This is all teaching from Scripture. Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, that sounds like the word, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. That's the word. John chapter 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth, that sounds like the word, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's the word. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. That's the word. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's the word. The spirit always works in conjunction with the word, and the word always works in conjunction with the spirit. Anytime you separate them from one another, you know what you have? The enemy. Demonic activity. Y'all aren't getting it. When, when the Pharisees didn't realize that the scripture was about Jesus, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. They had written word, but they did not have the spirit of revelation. And there's a lot of stuff happening in the name of the spirit that is not in line with the word. And I'm telling you, I don't claim... Uh, to know exactly what spirit, but what I do know is it is not the Holy Spirit. And I would say, like Jesus said, when the spirit is separated from the word, it's demonic. You have demonic activity. That's happening in churches right now. And on the other extreme, when the word is separated from the spirit, it's demonic. And so what are we as a church? A church true to the word and the spirit because you can't separate them. And you need both in your day-to-day -day life. You need both in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, John chapter 20, after Jesus arose, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus has already died and resurrected, but they locked up afraid. Jesus came and stood among them, and he, they didn't open the door. That's not in the passage, but it's clear. They didn't open the door for him. It's still locked. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. That's a revelation. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed. This is in Genesis 2. The Spirit is present in Genesis, and when, when Scripture says he breathed into them the breath of life, 
That's an act of the Holy Spirit because life and regeneration is only an act of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said to them, Jesus connecting it, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive. You cannot separate the Word and the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Victory over the enemy is only by the Spirit and it's always in conjunction with the Word. And you cannot separate His Word or His Spirit. Do you see it? The last thing I want you to see, I chose to change this word, the communion. The communion. I almost called this the prayer. But I realized very quickly, it's, <laughs> watch it. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all, the, all, all, all. And I almost said the prayer, but then I was afraid that it would be communicated that it, this one act of bowing your head, because that's how we think about prayer, that this one act of bowing your head or praying is what you're being called to. I believe what you're actually being called to is communion with God. Praying at all times. How is that possible? In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, for all the saints. You know what I think he's calling us to? Communion with God. Prayer is talking to God. And even though most people don't realize it, prayer is talk God talking back to you. You gotta be quiet long enough to hear him. But prayer is talking to God and God talking back to you. It's a conversation. You never have to ask me when you see me. Did you talk to your wife this morning? Yep. You know why? I'm in relationship with her. Even if she's not awake, I usually end up waking her up, but even if she's not awake, I'll make sure I see her and kiss her before I leave the house. Tell her I love her. Some of our conversations are, are quiet and sweet. Some of them are loud and fiery. You got two I would say redheads, but she's given all her red hair to our babies. Come on. You know why I'm in relationship with her? You know what every piece of the armor of God is about? Relationship with God. It's not just about wearing a piece of armor. It's about putting on Jesus Christ. I read this week that the word communion in the Oxford Dictionary, the very first definition, the word communion itself means, listen to this, communication that leads to intimacy. Communication that leads to intimacy. And then it has a, a side there, especially in a spiritual sense. You know what the second definition is? An ordinance of the church. Well, we know it's communion. Do you know what communion is? It's putting on Christ. The disciples on the night before Jesus died, I'm telling you, I feel this in my spirit, started breaking bread at the table with Jesus and drinking from the wine as they passed it around. And Jesus took a commonplace thing that they did and he redeemed it and said, take, eat the bread. This is my body broken for you. Take, drink. This is my blood. And I'm telling you, there is something deeper to the ordinance of communion 
And there's something deeper to the praying at all times at the end of this passage. I don't even believe the last verse applies only to the sword. I believe it applies to every piece of the armor. There could have been a whole sermon on just the last verse about praying all times in the spirit. And I'm asking people this morning, if you really know Jesus, do you have communion with him? The type of communication that facilitates intimacy with God. I'm asking you as we end the series of the armor of God, do you know that when you put on the helmet of salvation, it's the salvation that he purchased. And when, when you wear the breastplate of righteousness, it's righteousness that belongs to him alone. And when you put on the belt of truth, he is the truth. When you uh, hold up the sword of the spirit, uh, excuse me, the, the shield of faith, the, the, the shield of faith is the gift of faith that he gives. When you wield the sword of the Spirit, He is the Word become flesh who dwelt among us. I'm really asking you, if you're going to wear the armor of God, do you realize that every piece you put on is Him? It's Him. It's communion with Jesus. And the reason you can walk in victory over anything, sin in your life or the enemy, is because He has total victory. The armor of God is about putting on Christ. So I'm asking, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have communion with Jesus? If you don't, you can know him right now. I want every head to be bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. This isn't manipul uh, uh, emotional manipulation. This is about focus. We, we do this so that you can center yourself on Jesus and on the voice of God alone. Have you heard him speak to you today? Do you believe in him? Do you have a relationship with him? Listen, listen to me, friend. Relationships start in a moment and they continue for a lifetime. And I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment when you trusted and believed in Jesus? Right now can be your moment, wherever you're at. There's no special words that you have to pray or say. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you. Jesus, would you change my life? Would you save me? I'm telling you, all of us are destined to hell apart from Jesus because of our sin. But anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to pray something like this. Jesus, save me now. It's in your holy, precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. You know, scripture says that all of heaven rejoices. I believe even now in this room and at every location, we ought to make a lot of noise and celebrate anyone who prayed that. And if you prayed that, we want to know. Please let us know. I would love to know that you prayed that. You can scan the QR code at our physical locations. There's red cards available. We'd love for you to let us know. We, we wanna pray with you. We wanna walk with you, give you resources to follow Jesus. And so let us know. I want everybody to stand at every campus, every location. This is our moment to respond to him. And we are about to declare a song of victory in this place. 
And I'm asking that as we do, that you are put on the full armor of God. Some of you need to uh, come confess things in your life that don't belong there. You need to come pray that the Lord will give you victory over sin. Some of you need to rebuke the enemies attacking your home. As we worship and sing, as you pray, as we respond, declare the victory. Claim the victory that's rightfully yours in Jesus. I want to pray and we'll respond. Jesus, this moment is yours. This moment is yours. And I pray not one person would leave this morning defeated by the enemy, defeated by sin, defeated by their flesh. God, we're using this moment to declare the victory that we have in you. Jesus, you are all that we need. And we will see the victory in our lives, even now as we walk in this truth. So we declare it and we sing it and we worship and we pray. We respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.